As you may have noticed, I'm wearing some pretty funky shoes. <laughs> Don't be jealous because I'm a snappy dresser. <laughs> and uh, each week, um, I'll be wearing a, a different pair of funky shoes to highlight the theme of our series, which is being God's hands and God's feet. Being God's hands and feet. Over the next few months, we'll be going through our series, Summer to Serve. And I want us to try to experience what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. What is it like to walk in someone else's shoes? And then how can we reach out our hands and help those who are in such desperate need? As you can see, there are a lot of great opportunities to serve here at Grace Chapel. We've got all these different opportunities. These are all kind of set up for you to check out. They're just not displays, but they, they, they have places where you can sign up, either pray for those going on the mission trips or get involved. So a lot of opportunities here at Grace Chapel to, to get involved because we believe service is so important. Service is so important to the health, the vibrance and health of a church. Let me give you a couple of examples of how, how, what I mean by that. You know, it connects you to other believers. When, when you're able to serve in a church, serve in the body, you are connected to other believers in Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to be. We need to connect with each other. We need to be able to relate with each other. We need to be able to grow closer to one another. And serving allows you to connect with the other body of believers. It also exposes your spiritual gifts. It exposes your spiritual gifts. So many people say, well, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, my spiritual gifts or where I can serve. I'm not sure about that. And when you get involved, when you just step out and get involved in service, it exposes those spiritual gifts and it builds confidence in your life. Once you start using your gifts, you build confidence. And something else that happens, it changes the life of the person that you're serving. But at the same time, it changes your life. Your life is transformed. As you transform the lives of others, it transforms your life. When you see someone's life being transformed because of your actions, because of your efforts, because of your gifts and the talents that God has given you, I'm going to tell you, you want to build your self-esteem? That's one of the best ways to do it. When you see someone else's being, life being changed, you're saying to yourself, God is using me to do that. That builds confidence. So many good things happen when we serve. It opens up our eyes to new possibilities. You get involved in some small area of the church sometime this summer, and all of a sudden your eyes are opened up to other ways that you, your gifts can be used, that your talents can be used in the kingdom of God. It opens up those possibilities, those new possibilities, those new dynamic possibilities, and your life could be changed forever. For, for your spiritual health and for the spiritual health of this body we call Grace Chapel, those who have been sitting on the sidelines, kind of coming to church, you like the church, and which is great, but those who have been sitting on the sidelines for a while need to step up. You need to get involved for your own spiritual health and for the spiritual health of this church. You need to step up. We said from the very beginning that our church is built on the foundation of two key scriptures, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. But what does the Great Commandment teach? Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, it says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Walk in their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Walk a mile in their shoes and invest in their lives. For years, many Christians, many in the Christian community have been guilty of allowing God's word to penetrate their mind, but not their heart. We've allowed it to penetrate our minds. We, some in the Christian community will study and they'll allow it to penetrate their minds. They gain that head knowledge, but they're not allowing it to penetrate their hearts. And there's a difference there. We need to penetrate our minds and our hearts. So often we hide behind, those in the Christian community hide behind this false idea, their own false idea of spiritual maturity or going deep or, you know, get, I want to get deep. I want to get deep into the word of God, spiritual depth. But they ignore the words of men such as D.L. Moody, who said this, the scriptures were given not to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. The scriptures were given not to, to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. I agree with that. Obviously, you have to know the word of God in order to be transformed by it. So we're not saying that knowledge is not important. It's extremely important, but you have to have both. I've been in situations where, where in churches, they'll talk about, you know, they, oh, we want to we we get to know the word of God. We want to study the word of God, study the word, study the word of God, but there's no application and it just dies in your mind. You want to truly own the word of God? Do you want to remember a passage of scripture? Do you want to truly embrace what it means when Jesus talks about washing his disciples' feet? You want to truly own that word, that passage of scripture? Wash someone's feet. You'll never forget it. It'll be a part of you. It'll change your life. It'll transform your life. So yes, we want to know the word of God, but we also want to apply the word of God because the word of God is given to us to change our lives. In, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says it best. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But what does that mean for us this morning? What does that all mean for us this morning? My friends, from Genesis to Revelation, our God is the liberator of the needy and he calls us to be the same. He wants us to be the liberators of the needy. He wants us to reach out in love and meet their needs. Our spiritual maturity will be judged not by how we talk, but how we walk. You know, you say, you know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. We kind of let that go one, one ear and out the other. It is so true. It is so true. Our spiritual maturity will be judged by God, not by so much what we say, but by how we live, but by how we live, we bring those things together. And when you talk to people about the Lord, when you talk to people about your faith, if you just talk and you don't live, they're not interested. It is the way you live your life. It is with the passion that you live that people then hear the words that you say, that they have foundation. It's the fertile soil. So we need to speak the words of truth to people around us, but we need to live our lives in such a way that those people want to hear what we have to say. I talk about, I always talk about earning the right to be heard. You earn the right to be heard. How do you earn the right to be heard? You earn the right to be heard by ministering to people's felt needs, to reaching out in love to touching them, and then they're open. Their hearts and their minds are open. Their hearts and minds are fertile to hear what you have to say. What you have to say. In Proverbs nineteen seventeen, it says this, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. 
That's, that's the Old Testament passage that's akin to Matthew, where Jesus says, where Jesus says uh, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Proverbs 19, 17 says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. That, is, that means you're literally, when you do something for someone in need, you are literally giving that gift to God the Father. It's like handing him whatever you're handing to those in need. He receives that gift and he will, he will respond with blessing. He will respond with reward in your life. I don't know what that reward looks like, but you will be rewarded for what you have done. God the Father, Jesus Christ will reward you for what you have done. It's like giving those gifts to God. So again, who are the poor? This is important because if we're gonna talk about summer to serve and reaching out and doing all these things, we do so much in our church and this summer we're gonna focus on some things that we don't normally talk about and some things that we always talk about. But we have to understand why we do what we do. That is so significant theologically. Why is it so important? Why are we talking about this? Why, why am I challenging you to step outside of your comfort zone to go a little beyond where you, where you are right now? Why is this so significant? We need to understand theologically why this is important, biblically, why this is important, because it lays a foundation for us to stand on. It gives us a reason to say, you know what? It's not just this guy's passion. He's not just excited about some poor kid somewhere. This is biblical. I need to respond to God's word. Because that's really what we need to respond to, the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking through our hearts. So who are the poor? The Hebrew words for poor speak of those who have been wrongly uh, impoverished or, or dispossessed. They, they are, they are, they are primary, their primary connotation for the poor in Scripture is someone who is, has a low economic status. They're low on the economic status. Well, you say, well, that's pretty, you know, thanks for the enlightenment. Of course, they're poor. But that's brought about many times by calamity or, or by the oppression, some form of oppression. So they're, they're low on the economic scale. They've been wrongly, okay, impoverished and dispossessed. So, so they're low on the economic scale. And that's brought about by some calamity or, or, or some, some, some imposing person who's put them in that position. So that's what we're talking about here. Now, there's a difference in Scripture between the poor... Okay, the poor and, and, and someone who is, say, uh, a sluggard. Okay, the sluggard, the poor and the sluggard. Because people will say to me sometimes, well, I don't think we should help all these people. Some of these people just get jobs. You know, they just have a job. You know, if these people would just work a little harder, they wouldn't be the way they are. And, and you know what? In some ways, that frustrates people. In some ways, that's kind of true. And the Bible kind of has a difference between the poor, defined as the poor, and the sluggard. Read Proverbs if you want some better definitions. But here's a good definition. A poor person is looking for a hand up. A sluggard is looking for a handout. We are going to focus our attention on the poor, those who are looking for a hand up. This summer, we're going to give nothing to the sluggard but advice. Okay, so we're not going to spend a lot of our energy giving to the sluggard because they're looking for a handout. They're not interested in, in growing spiritually or growing emotionally or growing in any way. So we're going to focus our attention on the poor, what the Bible would consider the poor, those who are in desperate need, those who need a hand up, those who will take the opportunity that you give them and they'll do something with that opportunity. That's what we're going to focus on this summer. In Nigeria, it was really funny. Last time I was in Nigeria, and it's been there since for years. Um, but on the wall of one of the buildings, it says, uh, lazy ones do not eat, which is pretty biblical. 
You know, these are people, these are people who are sustenance people. And if you, if you don't work, you don't eat. So we're going to follow that biblical principle. We're going to take the poor. We're going to say those who need the help or looking for a hand up. We're going to give them a hand up this summer and throughout the years to come. But we're going to give them a real hand up this summer in so many different ways. And we're going to watch what God does through our church and us as individuals as we go and do that for others. Now, to, to help us understand how dominant this theme is in Scripture... I want, I want to focus on the example of God's people starting at the Exodus. So we're going to focus on the people of God, Israel, starting at the Exodus. That'll give us kind of an understanding. Scripture clearly shows us that part of the reason that God displayed his power at Exodus was to free his oppressed people. That's one, of the, that's one of the main reasons that God showed his power to Exodus, because he wanted to free his people who were being oppressed. He was responding to their prayers and to their oppression. When Moses was called at the burning bush, God's intent was also to end suffering and injustice. He calls Moses at the burning bush, and one of the things that God intends to do here is to end the suffering of his people and to end the injustice that is being inflicted upon them. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, we read this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites, Amorites, Prizites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, I, I'm not saying that the, the liberation of the oppressed was God's only purpose in the Exodus, we also know that God was acting because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we understand that. In addition, God wanted to create a people of his very own, a people whom, to whom he could reveal himself. He was setting up a holy nation. So there's, there's reasons, there's other reasons besides the oppression that God is laying out in Scripture, and we recognize that. We recognize that. In Exodus chapter um, 6 verses 5 through 7, we see this, this dual purpose, this tri-purpose lived out. It says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and, and I, will, I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Leading up to the Ten Commandments, probably the most, the most important portion of the entire law for Israel, we find this same revolutionary truth. We find this truth lived out. Before he gives the two tablets of the law to Moses, God identifies himself. God identifies himself, and here's what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. God, the great I am, is the one who frees those who are oppressed from slavery. God, our God, hears the cries of those who are in need. God has compassion on those who are hurting. God responds to people who are being oppressed. 
God responds to those who cannot help themselves, who cannot stand up for themselves, the orphan, the, the fatherless, the widows, those who are pressed. God responds to those people throughout the word of God. You cannot read your Bible and not see that staring you right in the face. If that is so important to God, then the question is, shouldn't it be important to all of us? Shouldn't that be important to us? Shouldn't we be looking for opportunities to, to fight injustice wherever we see it? God hates injustice. He hates it. So shouldn't his people be standing up and looking for opportunities to fight injustice, looking for opportunities to, in a sense, free the oppressed, looking for opportunities to build up those and protect those who cannot protect themselves? All around the world, we see people in these situations. And we as, you should be asking me questions like, what are we doing to help the people here in Darfur? And what are we doing to help people who are being oppressed here? And what can we be doing over here? Maybe that's something that God has put on your heart that we haven't done even yet, but that you could be the spearhead to do something through our church that will help people who are being oppressed. Because our God wants his people to respond to those who are being oppressed. He wants us to love them and encourage them and support them. It is clear that the God of the Bible wants to be known as the liberator of the poor and oppressed. Very clear in scripture. Very clear. He wants to be known as a God who responds to those who are suffering. Our goal, if our goal is to be like him individually... And if the goal of our church is to do his will, then we should have that same desire in our hearts. We should have, we should, our lives should reflect God's desire. Our lives should reflect God's heart, the heart of our Lord, the heart of our King. Our heart should reflect his heart. We should be about the things that he is about. We should be talking about the things that he talks about. We should care about the things that he cares about. I'm sure that God is so excited that churches around this country are growing and, and getting larger and that we're meeting the needs and we're coming up with incredible programs to touch individual lives in the church. And that, man, you can do just about anything in churches now. Boy, they've got everything going and everybody comes. But I wonder sometimes if that, if that is the focus of how can I meet your needs. And as you shop around at churches, you shop over here and you shop over there. Who's going to offer me the best thing? Who's going to offer me the best program? programs. Is that really what we should be thinking? Or should we go into church and asking ourselves, what church, is this church serving the, 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 the people in its own body, but the people in its community and, its, and the people around the world? And if they're not, how can I get involved and help them reach out in that way? How can I plug into what they're doing and meet the needs of people outside of myself? Because it's only when we get outside of ourselves that we grow and we mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous place to be if you're in a place where you're just being carried along because they got every program going for them. You need to be in a place. Our church has lots of programs, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking at it from both perspectives saying, God, yes, I want my spiritual needs to be met and the needs of my family. But then when, when you feel like you've landed someplace, how then can we reach out and meet the needs of others? Because that is the heart of God. That is God's heart. That is God's desire. That's what he wants us to see. And, and, and here's the reality. God's favor, God's favor is often linked to our obedience. And I say often, I mean really often. God's favor, God's blessing is linked to our obedience. 
We need to find out his heart. We need to be like him. And we will see. I'm going to tell you something. You go around the world, whether it's Mexico for us or India or Nigeria, when, when you start... When you start doing things like, for example, uh, digging deep water wells in Nigeria, I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I don't know so far that the spigot of God has been turned off. God continues to supply the resources for us to continue to dig more and more wells. And I would, I would venture to say that that spigot will never be turned off. Because when you step out in faith, and you allow God to work in your lives, and you allow yourself to be invested in others, God does things that, that most people will never see. God will do things in your life that you never imagined. But you have to step out in faith and start allowing God to use you in that way. Okay, let me, let me give you another example uh, of, you, of, of how we can follow the children of Israel to, to lead us down this path. As you study biblical history, some, you find out something very, very interesting. Very interesting. When God's people are being oppressed, it led to their freedom. When God's people, when the Israelites were being oppressed, it ultimately led to their freedom. When they become the oppressors, it leads to their demise over and over and over. They're, they're being oppressed, it leads to their freedom. They become the oppressors, it leads to their demise. You have to ask the question, why? And the clear message of the prophets, prophets is, is that one of the reasons that God judges Israel is because of their treatment of the poor. That is one of the main reasons God judges his people is because of their treatment of the poor among them. Now, I know that idolatry it was clearly another reason. But sometimes, it, it, all too often, we only remember Israel's spiritual problem with idolatry and we completely overlook, completely overlook the obvious biblical teaching that your chosen people were sent back into captivity because of the way their economic exploitation of the poor, the way they treated the poor. You can't just look at the Bible and say, yeah, they commit idolatry and we kind of read what we want to read and, and then we turn around, we don't read the other side of it. You talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, all the sexual things that went on there. Part of the reason they were destroyed is because they, they did not take care of the poor and needy. They cared only about themselves and they, they exploited the poor. They didn't care about those who were in need. That's what the word of God says. So we have to look at this. Sometimes we just overlook things because, you know, in our country, it's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, they were put back into captivity and they were, all these things happened because of their idolatry. Because idolatry is one of those things say, well, I'm not an idol worshiper. I don't have anything in my backyard I bow down to. But how about the fact that, that we, are, we, are, we are being greedy and self-centered and, and self-serving and not giving to those in need? That's a direct reason why God responds in judgment to his people because they're selfish and greedy. Read throughout scripture. That's one of the main reasons that God responded to Sodom and Gomorrah, that God responded by sending Israel back into captivity over and over and over and over. Greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, keep it for myself and not giving to those in need. God responds. If we look back, the middle of the 8th century BC was a time of economic prosperity for Israel. But here's what's interesting. This is the same time that God sent his prophet Amos to announce to, the, to Israel, Israel's northern kingdom, that they were going to be destroyed. So picture this. They're in the middle of this economic prosperity, and God comes along and sends Amos and says, Amos, tell them that they're, they're in for it. 
I'm, I'm going to destroy the northern kingdom. I'm going to destroy the northern kingdom. Behind their prosperity, behind their economic expansion, the prophet could see the oppression of the poor. God saw right through and said, oh, good for you. I'm so glad you're all doing so economically well. Here's your problem. You're exploiting the poor. You don't care about orphans. You don't care about widows. You don't care about... You're stepping on the throats of others to get to where you want to be. Amos 2.7 says this, They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Pretty clear. And if we look a little closer, we see God sent other prophets to unveil the same judgment on Judah, southern kingdom. So you have the same, you have the same, the, 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 the prophets coming and, and, and condemning the, the, the southern kingdom as well. God sent his prophet Isaiah to bring word of the destruction that would come upon Judah because of their mistreatment and oppression of those in need of the poor. Isaiah comes and says, God is going to bring judgment upon you. Why? Why? Because of all your sexual sin and all these kinds of... No! I mean, part of, that's always part of the equation. But this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 10, verses 1 through 3. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. See, just a warning. The one thing you don't want to do is take advantage of widows and orphans, okay? Just... Just me to you. <laughs> One of those things that God really doesn't like, okay? What will you do on the day of reckoning when, dis- when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? The prophet Jeremiah clearly condemns those, clearly condemns those who become rich on the back of the poor, who become wealthy by exploiting the poor. In Jeremiah chapter 5, 26 through 29, it says this, among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like, uh, lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch men. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I mean, we have to step back and ask ourselves, we are God's people. We, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are God's people. Now, we can rest on our laurels and all the great things we're doing around the world and everything, but are we, are we honestly, we have to ask ourselves individually and as the body of Christ, are we truly doing all that God is calling us to do? Are we truly sacrificing to make sure those who do not have, have? I mean, we have brothers and sisters around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, literally your brothers and sisters spiritually, who are suffering and dying while we live in the lap of luxury. You call this an economic crisis? Go somewhere else in the world and see what an economic crisis is all about. You know, we're going, ouch. I know people losing jobs and that's extremely difficult. I am not, I am not belittling that or playing that down at all. I, we talk about how difficult it is in our own country. We've talked about the last few months. But my friends, you know what? When, it, when times like this come, 
What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to step out in faith and say, you know what? I'm still better off than this group of people here. And how can I sacrifice to help my brothers and sisters in Christ who don't even have an opportunity to receive any kind of welfare or any kind of subsidies or any kind of help or any kind of bailouts or any kind of anything from anyone? They're on their own and they're on their own. And God, when we get to heaven, is not going to say, well, gee, you know, it's too bad that the government didn't give them or too bad that they didn't have enough. He's going to make, we are responsible. We are responsible for the needs that we see. I'm not interested in waiting for the UN or the American government or anyone else to, to do what I know myself needs to be done. It's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility. As a matter of fact, when they get involved, they mess everything up anyway. We as the church need to do what we've been called to do and not wait for someone else to come along and fix it for us. It is our responsibility. It is the church's responsibility. And we need to take our responsibility. So Jeremiah lays all this out and pretty much says, here it comes, here it comes. But even after he gives this challenge, he offers hope. He offers hope if God's people, if God's people will, 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 will do justice to the poor, will give the poor what they need and will repent and put aside their idolatry. He says, if you put these things away, if you will not, if you will not inflict suffering on the poor, if you will do good to the poor, if you will meet their needs, and if you repent of your idolatry, then God will come and God will bless. And that's where I want to end this morning, on that note of hope, that note of hope. In in Jeremiah chapter 7, 5 through 7, it tells us this. If you really change your ways, let's just talk, let's just apply it to ourselves, okay? Now, you know, I know we do a lot of good things, but let's, let's, let's take it a bit deeper. If Jesus were here and he was walking around with us right now, um, or even James, ever read the book of James? If James were up here preaching, I wonder if he'd be so, yay for Grace Chapel. If James was a pastor of a church, three quarters of any church in the nation would, be, would empty out. They'd leave. They, wouldn't be, they would not want to listen to that guy for anything. So let's just listen to this passage and apply it to our own lives. Jeremiah 7, 5 through 7. If you really changed your ways... And your actions and in your actions and deal with each other justly. And if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow, uh, follow other gods to your own harm, and you know, you apply that to whatever other gods you're following. You know, you can't serve both God and money. I mean, there's all kinds of idols. We have all kinds of idols that we worship. Um, just because you don't have a statue in your backyard and I don't have a statue in my backyard does not mean that Jeff Greer and the rest do not worship other gods sometimes. He said, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. In other words, you're going to have blessing. If we will do what God calls us to do, we were going to be blessed. You know, if we're honest, all of us need to grow in this area. I don't care how long we've been doing whatever or what we're involved in. Every single one of us needs to grow in this area. Are we really sacrificing and giving what we should be giving? I'll raise my hand and say, no, I could do more. I can give more. I can reach out more. I could, I could pray more. There's more that I can do. And I'm not going to beat us over the head of guilt and all that kind of thing. I'm just saying there's more that we can do. There's more ways that we can reach out. There's more ways that we can, we can really sacrifice and become more like Jesus Christ. All of us need to grow in this area. You know, many of us have lost our innocence, honestly. We've lost our sympathy. 
And I think one of the reasons that happens, and maybe for you, is that your life has been really difficult. And when your life's been really difficult, it's hard to focus on the needs of others. You know, you're sitting here and you're thinking, gee, I'm so glad we're doing Summer to Serve because I need to be served. And, you know, some of you do. You really do. You need to be served. You need help. But as the church helps you, that doesn't mean if you're the poorest person in this church should not take a a, a kind of a seat that says, you know what, I need to be served. I need the resources. So therefore, I'll accept, but I'll give nothing. You can always give something. You can do something for someone else. You can serve the body in some way, whether you have you have nothing at all. Remember the widow's mite when Jesus said, there's the example. She put in just a tiny little bit. You ever see a mite? It's like the size of your, your pinky nail. I actually saw one. I think we actually have one in our house. It, it, it's the size of your, a little small in your pinky nail. It's nothing. And Jesus says, there's the example I want you guys to follow because she gave up everything she had. So if you have the least, give what you can give and God will bless you for that. You can receive, but you can, also, you can also give. So it may be that you've experienced some really hard times, and so you're, you haven't really been able to focus on other people. You know what? If you want to see God move in your life, keep working to serve others. Some of you have become really hardened um, because you may, you, you may have seen the world suffering so much. You, have so, you see so much suffering, you say to yourself, you know what, this is ridiculous. There's so much going on, it's overwhelming. I don't even want to think about it. So you just kind of block it out of your mind. You block it out of your mind. You're thinking to yourself, there's so much suffering. What can one person do? That's what you kind of have going in your mind. Maybe our lives, some of us have been so prosperous that we forget. Some of you have forgotten. Or maybe you've never even experienced what it's like to be in want. I mean, you know my background. I grew up in a a one-bedroom apartment with my mom. Compared to other people around the world, I was loaded. But compared to most of us here living in our area, I I was poor. I was very poor. And I, I, sometimes, sometimes those of us who've grown up like that, if we don't keep that sensitivity in our hearts, we forget what it was like to live how we used to live. I was sitting in my backyard talking to my wife, Debbie, yesterday, and we were sitting on these beautiful lounge, chaise lounges that someone actually gave us as a gift. What a beautiful gift. And we're sitting on these things wondering what the poor folks... No, just kidding. No, we're sitting... We're sitting <laughs> looking over the back 40, wondering what the poor folks are doing. Um, we're, we're sitting there. You know, you're relaxing. And I'm thinking back to my childhood in my one-bedroom apartment. If you would have transformed... If you would have had like the Star Trek, you know, beam me over, Scotty, you know. If you'd have beamed me from like 14 years old to 46 years old sitting in that lounge and I knew that I owned everything that I kind of could see, you know what I mean, in my backyard and I walked in my house, I would have been so overwhelmed. I think I would have basically broken down and I don't know what I would have done. You know, but I, I have not forgotten to appreciate what I have. Some of us have forgotten to appreciate what we have. Some of us don't even know what it, what it feels like to be in need. What we need to do is, again, we need to enter into, God is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. And some of us need to enter into other people's pain and suffering to understand what they're going through. Truly enter into it. You know, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, to see the world, if you can, through new eyes. This summer, I really, 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 I and the staff would like you to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And not only walk a mile in their shoes, but to decide what can I do to meet the needs of the people that I'm thinking about. 
the, the heart that I have for whatever group it is? How can I meet their needs? How, and I want to, maybe the question for us this morning as we close out here is, how can I do that? How can I reach out and show compassion and kindness to those who are hurting? I'm going to tell you, I'll give you one quick answer. You know, sometimes in our church, because our vision is so broad, we, you know, we have 580 acres in Nigeria, we're building this self-sustaining community, and we have water wells that are being dug, and we're going to build a, a, a food processing plant, and a giant back-to-back facility, and blah, 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 and fish farming, and agriculture, and all kinds of stuff. And we think, man, he, he starts talking about this, and that's what's in your mind. No, it doesn't have to be that mind-boggling. I'm not asking you to go find 500 acres in, in, uh, in Ethiopia and start a self-sustaining community. We're already doing that. We, we're, we're, that's happening. I'm talking about you and me as individuals now and as the body. Pick one thing. It doesn't have to be mind-boggling. Just do one thing. Just choose one thing to do and do that. That's all there is to it. Pick one thing. Get a group of your friends, if you're like out of college or you're in college kind of thing, get some friends together in high school, get some friends together in junior high, get some friends together. If it's a small group or your family, get a group of people together, pick one thing and do that one thing well this summer. That's it. One thing. Change one person's life. Invest in one group of people. Allow God to work for you in that way. Now, up here, you'll see these shoes. All these shoes represent children in our own community. And one of the ways that you can help are these shoes with little tags on there. And you can swap this summer. This is what we're going to do through all, for all of this because this, whatever we give here needs to be above and beyond our normal giving. This needs to be sacrificial giving and we'll end up where we end up. But you don't, don't, don't stop giving your regular giving in order to do these things. Ask yourself, what can I give up? What can I sacrifice? How can I sacrifice in order to meet someone else's needs? What can I give up that I want to make sure someone else has something they need. A good example would be, if you're a little one here this morning, do not go ask your parents for money to do something that you see. Go get, get a lemonade stand, or do the dishes, or do some chores at home. Earn it. Sacrifice. Or if you're going out for ice cream, maybe, maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to give up my $5 ice cream because I'm going to use that $5 or $10, whatever it is. I'm going to save it up, and I'm going to send one kid. This is called the ride. People in our community, kids in our community are going to be able to go every single Wednesday on the ride. They're going to be taken to different places like Kings Island or, or uh, the beach or uh, the, the zoo or the aquarium, or some place that normally they couldn't afford to go. We're going to take about 50 kids on the ride. They go to our, some go to our church, and they're inviting their friends. Others are from outside of our church. We have a lot of kids signing up from outside the church. After I talked about this at the first service, a woman came to me after the first service and said, I'm so glad you mentioned those shoes and you mentioned the ride, because that's how I came to Christ. I lived in a trailer, and we were by, kind of by ourselves, and my parents were atheists. They didn't go to church. They wouldn't bring us to church, but a, a a church reached out and, and took us in the summer and took us different places and we were able to do things. And she sits here today. She was sitting here this morning with that testimony that someone invested in her life and it changed her life forever. Wouldn't that be worthwhile? One thing, you get one pair of shoes and that's the testimony. That's what we're talking about. So that's just one opportunity to swap. We're going to try to swap every item. We have a crate of medical supplies we want to send to Nigeria. 
We're going to fill that crate. It's not the crate out there. That's just an example. We're going to fill a huge crate with medical supplies. There's a hospital very close to the land that we own in Nigeria. It's like walking distance. We're going to completely do an overhaul of that hospital and give them all the medical supplies we can to make that the best. And this is not difficult. You think, well, he's just pipe dreaming. We want to make it the best medical facility in the state. And honestly, that's not saying much. But that's what we'll do. We will make that the best medical facility in the state for the people that we're serving and our missionaries will be there as well. So we want some good facilities there. We're going to do all kinds of things like that, but we can each do our part. My friends, make this a summer to remember. 2009 is summer to remember because you should make it a summer to serve. Come alongside and make it a summer to serve. You know what's amazing? This week, I was getting my shoes on and my son, Josh, who's five years old, he was saying to me, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, well, Josh, I'm going to go out and I've got some things to work on outside. He goes, well, Dad, wait. Dad, wait, wait for me because wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, that's what I'm doing and that's where I'm going. It's exactly what he said. Wait for me because whatever you're doing, I'm going to do. Wherever you're going, I'm going to go. I mean, I want you to think about that as a parent. I want you to think about the, the impact that we can make in our children this summer. As parents, we need to set an example by walking a mile in someone else's shoes. We need to set an example of reaching out with our hands and meeting the needs of the people that we are going to be thinking about and praying for and, and, and ministering to. We need to reach out because the trail, listen to me, I, this, is, this is huge. The trail that you blaze your children will follow for the rest of their lives. Do not underestimate what I just said. The trail that you blaze, how you live your life, even this summer and onward, will, that, that, that your children will follow that trail for the rest of their lives. My two daughters said to me when they were leaving for college, both of them at different times came to me and said, and they hadn't talked to each other, but it, it made such an impact on me. They said, Dad, you know, It really wasn't as much what you said, because I can say a lot. Um, It wasn't as much what you said, it's how you lived. If you weren't the same person outside of the pulpit as you are in the pulpit, if you weren't the same father at home as you talk about on Sunday mornings, it's it's what you, how you lived your life, not just what you said. Now, please, I am far from anywhere near perfect, okay? And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not just patting myself on the back. I'm giving you an example Our children will follow our lead. The trail that we blaze, they will follow. Take your family, take your friends, invest your own life. Let your children see that the words that come out of your mouth, the reason they go to church, there's some meat behind it. There's some muscle on those bones. You know, let's reach out and set an example for our children to follow. If we do some things this summer, that may set them on a path that will change the rest of their lives. It isn't just about keeping your children from having sex and drinking and all this kind of thing. It's about setting your children on a path that will transform them for the rest of their lives. And this is a great opportunity. Here's how I'd like to close out this morning. We have our students. We have our, our students and some adults that are going on missions trips. We did this in the first service. We're going to do it in the second service for anyone who's here. If you're here and you're going on a missions trip this, this summer, I don't care if you're with Athletes in Action or whatever organization you're with, if you're going on a mission trip this summer, I want you to come forward. I want you to, we're going to close out but with prayer. I want you to come forward. If you're going on a mission trip, come on up. Just come on up and stand here. I know a lot of people that are, that are going. Just come on up and stand here. I'm not going to have you say anything. No embarrassment. I just need to stand here. 
And again, if it's not just, it doesn't matter if you're going with the church or just if you're going on a mission trip and you belong to this body, or if you don't belong to this body, why don't you come up and stand up here because we want to pray for you. We want to send you out. Our high schoolers are going to Monterey, Mexico to serve orphans in Monterey, Mexico. And our junior high is going to Louisiana on the Gulf Coast. They're going to be serving people who have been really devastated by the, the hurricanes that came a few years ago. So they're going to go back and they're going to be working in their lives. So if you are in that group, why don't you come forward? Everybody pretty much up here. Now, here's what I want you to do as the body. Stand up. And to close out, stand up and come on up. Come on up. Let's lay hands on these, these uh, folks up here. Let's lay hands on them. Let's come together. Let's, let's, let's pray for them. It's going to be great. You know, as, as God sends each individual out this summer... We can anticipate a changed life. Do you know that um, every, every, pretty much every year I learned about three or four or five more of the students when I was a youth pastor that I've invested my life in that we were able to take on mission trips that are all over the world. As pastors, youth pastors, missionaries, one, one student started a church in Uzbekistan. I mean, this, this, this student was really annoying, actually. I love him to death, but he was annoying. And no, I'm just, he, if he were here, he'd laugh too, because he was like one of those guys like, okay, okay, stop it, okay, stop it. And then he goes off and starts a church in Uzbekistan. So you know what I'm saying? You think, oh, this person will never, yeah, they will, if you set an example. So what we want to do is we want to pray for these adults and pray for these students that God would use them to truly impact the lives of others and that God would impact their lives as well. So let's bow our heads and pray. And I'd like maybe a couple of you just, well, everyone, just pray silently first. Let's just pray, pray silently and then I'll close this out.